first thing that I wanted to talk about, because it's such a relevant issue this week, are um, the riots that we've seen in Greece. Uh, and calling them the riots in Greece, I feel like, is almost a misnomer in that there were enormous protests which led up to riots. And we have the unique opportunity to talk with um, Michael about this particular subject because he is from Greece and uh, uh, you also... You also <laughs> like study it pretty and have your own radio show about it. So uh, the first thing I wanted to ask was we're hearing a lot in the news uh, questions of the austerity measures. Uh, what exactly are uh, the austerity measures and what does that mean? Well, when we hear about the austerity measures uh, that are being implemented in Greece in the media, that is basically another way of saying that... Um, the international community, the IMF, the European Union, is demanding that Greece make cuts. So the cuts that are being demanded, um, well, let me give you, uh, let me backtrack by giving like the full sort of uh, picture. Greece um, has been in economic trouble for the past couple of years. Um, and in May of 2010, Greece sought what the media has called a bailout from the International Monetary Fund and the European Union and the European Central Bank. Collectively, these three entities are called the Troika, uh, Russian word, basically. So this Troika uh, said, yes, we're going to give you money, by give meaning loan you money, uh, but in return, we have some conditions, and these conditions are the austerity measures that we've been hearing about. So the first set of conditions that was passed back in May of 2010 uh, resulted in cuts in public sector salaries, resulted in uh, very sharp tax increases across the board, and taxes were already pretty high in Greece. So tax increases uh, on top of those high taxes, uh, cuts to pensions, cuts to social services uh, like education budgets, healthcare budgets, and so forth. And the rationale behind these cuts, according to the IMF and, and the Troika, was that Greece was overspending. Greece was a country that was living beyond its means. Uh, the narrative was that that's why Greece was in trouble. That's why it accumulated this debt. It was paying for things that it couldn't afford, and then it had to cut down on all of this uh, in order to enter the road to recovery. And the predictions that were being made back in 2010 were that, you know, by implementing these measures, Greece would return to GDP growth, positive GDP growth by 2011, um, and uh, that the economy would recover quickly. Um, in fact, there was an interview uh, that I came across recently. It's on the IMF's website, if you search for it. Uh, an interview that Paul Thompson, who is sort of the, the, the head of the IMF in Greece, he gave an interview to one of Greece's largest newspapers called Kathy Merini back in May of 2010 with, when these measures were first implemented. And he said that the measures are fair because they are really only affecting, um, they are sort of mostly affecting the, the public employees that had the highest salaries, the highest pensions, where sort of like the weakest strata of society are going to be left alone. Uh, we're not, he basically was saying, we're not going to touch people with the minimum wage. We're not going to like touch the people that are sort of in the weakest position. So keep that in mind for a moment. That was back in May of 2010. What has happened since then was that, is that the economy hasn't gotten better. It's gotten much worse. In fact, Greece is in a deep depression right now. Uh, GDP 
uh, in Greece dropped 7% last year, and a similar drop is expected again this year. So those predictions that, you know, Greece's economy would recover just by making these cuts in 2010 were, went completely out the window. And supposedly, an agreement was reached between Greece and the Troika last summer over a second set of so-called bailout funds, a second loan, in essence, um, that would have resulted in different, more additional cuts being made and so forth. For reasons that even I am not completely sure of, even though a deal was made, this never really went forward. Um, So sort of the original program continued, um, but... The Troika came back to Greece uh, in the past couple of months and said, well, you know, your economy is not doing well. You're not meeting your targets, targets in terms of like how much revenue the government raises, how how much money in taxes the the government collects. You're not meeting those goals. Your deficit is still large and so forth. So you have to make more cuts. And that's where the protests recently have come in. So those cuts have included a 22% reduction in the minimum wage a 30% reduction in the minimum wage for workers under age 25, uh, further cuts to pensions, uh, layoffs of 150,000 public employees in the next five years, including 15,000 this year, uh, a hiring freeze uh, uh, for public employees, salary freezes for the next three years at least, cuts to private sector salaries, um, more tax increases as well, um, and this is where really things be- have begun to blow up for the Greek people because they've already been struggling uh, in the past couple of years with these measures. They were promised that you know Greece would be re- returning to growth within one to two years. Instead of returning to growth, the situation has gotten much worse. And now they're telling people that they have to get by in many cases with a salary as low as maybe 400 euros a month after taxes in a country where the cost of living is not that much lower than here in the U.S. At the, in many places. That comes out to about two to three euros an hour. Uh, that's not a lot of money. And for young people especially, it's very difficult. Unemployment in Greece has skyrocketed to 22%. Um, youth unemployment is almost 50%. A lot of young people are leaving the country, not because they want to leave, but because they can't find jobs. Uh, and... As desperate as the economic situation is in a lot of places, they feel that they have a better chance of getting a job in another country than in Greece right now, which is very unfortunate, but it's it's the truth. Um, just to clarify, this Troika, this is really just the European Union, Greece staying on the euro, right? Uh, uh, that's essentially what they're shooting for. Is The reason why they have control over what Greece does in terms of their financial system is because they want to remain on the euro. Yes, there's this fear that the Greek economic situation could get so bad that Greece could turn around and say, you know, we're leaving the euro, we want to declare bankruptcy or declare a stoppage of payments and drop out of the eurozone completely. What the European Union is worried about is that this will create a domino effect of sorts because there's other European countries that are also struggling, Portugal, Ireland, Italy, Spain. Spain, right. Um, and and they're, they're struggling just to... to briefly, they're struggling as a result of the economic crisis that occurred first in Greece, right? I wouldn't say so much. It's it's more of a result of the broader global economic crisis because all of this really began after the the economic downturn that began here in the U.S. in late 2008. Uh, Suddenly, the banking system discovered that, you know, 
um, well, banks lost a lot of money in bad investments. Um, we saw what happened here in the United States with Lehman Brothers and so forth, and that had impacts on the European banks and the global banks, and money began to dry up in Europe as well. And that began to really affect the countries in Europe that had the weakest economies, and that includes Greece, Portugal, Spain, Ireland, and those are the countries that have been affected the most. Uh, suddenly, those countries found that they had a lot of trouble continuing to borrow money on the international marketplace, and they had high debt obligations. Um, and suddenly, they saw, you know, they will have a lot of difficulty paying back these these large debts, and there's and so a whole the burden is on the is on the people now. They're transferring it to the people to pay off these debts they didn't even incur. Right, they're transferring the burden to the people for debts that their governments basically incurred, and in many cases, debts that uh, were incurred not even because of the government so much, but because of. Um, most of the money that is actually owed isn't even the principal of these loans. It's it's the interest rates. Um, I'll go into a little bit of, uh, it, it may sound like economic theory, but I'll try to illustrate what I mean. A lot of economists refer to countries like Greece and, and Portugal and so forth as deficit countries. These are, um, these are countries that tend to run permanent deficits. They're not... They don't have heavy industry uh, that produces sort of like very valuable economic goods. Their their economies are more based on things like tourism, on 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 um, different types of uh, services, on even on agriculture. So those are most. That's really the case for most of the southern European countries. Also for Ireland, even though it's in northern Europe. Um, Countries like Germany, France, the UK, the Netherlands, in other words, are considered these surplus countries. These are countries that tend to run permanent budget surpluses and are considered the creditor nations in Europe. So, on the topic of the euro, the creditor nations, Germany, Holland, and so forth, wanted countries like Greece and Italy and Portugal and Spain to enter this common currency because it would increase the market for the goods that these countries produce. And they knew that from the moment that a country like Greece entered the euro, it would have the ability to borrow money on the international markets at the same low interest rate as the, as the creditor nations, as Germany and France. This led, into, this led to a big inflow of money into Greece. Uh, Borrowed money. Yeah, dead. Yes, dead, <laughs> basically. But at a lower interest rate. At a lower interest rate. The same interest rate that countries like the U.S. get when they borrow money. Same exact rate. Um, and obviously, Greece's economy and Portugal's economy and so forth is not at the same level as those countries, and yet it was borrowing at the same low interest rate. So a lot of money flowed into Greece, flowed into the government, flowed into the big banks. And while the economy was doing well in all of those countries, there was no problem. Money, you know, The loans were being paid back, and the banks that were borrowing this money were then lending the money out to people in Greece and Portugal and Spain. So it led to a consumer credit boom. People started going out started buying summer houses, started buying new cars, started buying electronics, and, and lo and behold, a lot of those items that they were buying were items that were produced in the, uh, the creditor countries, German cars, German television sets, and so forth. In addition to that, the European Union, in sort of this process of integration, and, and not just integration in terms of you know, many countries using the same currency, but other forms of sort of like policy-making integration started encouraging countries like Greece, which up until the early 1990s was entirely self-sufficient in terms of, for instance, its food production, 
started encouraging Greece to only produce certain kinds of crops, because now that Greece is part of a larger sort of common currency and common market, the European Union can turn around and say, hey, Greece, <laughs> hey, Greece, we already have enough tomatoes and cucumbers here in the European Union. We don't need you to produce anymore. What we really need is lemons. Uh, produce us some lemons. Or produce, whatever. Or whatever. Yeah. Just to illustrate, just to give an ex- a very oversimplified example. So just produce least specific crops. This is what the European Union market needs. And stop producing everything else. And in exchange, we will give you subsidies to convert your farmland, to you know, to grow these crops, and so forth. And you will have access to our markets. So Greek farmers, Greek food producers started you know, following these European Union directives for the result that now Greece, just 20 years later, imports 70% of its food. It's not a self-sustaining economy in terms of its nutrition. Pretty similar anymore. to America. Pretty similar to America, exactly. So that kind of puts Greece more at the mercy of other countries than it used to be 20 years ago because if a country is self-sufficient in terms of its food, that gives a country a lot of power in a lot of ways. It doesn't really have to rely on, you know, outsiders to feed its people. So then a third sort of aspect of this integration was the European Union started giving um, basically grants to countries like Greece and, and Portugal and so forth to come up with big infrastructure projects that will sort of help modernize those countries. So in Greece, throughout the 1990s and the early part of the 2000s, we saw a big construction boom. New airports were built, new um, new highways, subway systems, you name it. Uh, really, you know, top-level infrastructure. And the way that it worked is the European Union will fund 50% of the project. The national governments, like the Greek government, would fund the other 50%. So it was a way to help these countries develop without them having to put up the entire cost. And that sounds great, right? Hey, you know, who doesn't want new, new subway systems and airports? But the problem was that where did this money go? Even the money that was coming in from the European Union was going back to, in many cases, European Union companies from the industrialized countries. Creditor nations. The, the creditor nations, because they would come in and actually get the contracts to do these big projects. So, for instance, the international airport that opened in Athens in 2001, just a few months before the euro was adopted, it's being managed to this date by a German company. Uh, a lot of the highways that were constructed in Greece in the subway system, German companies... Um, got contracts for big portions of those projects. So a lot of the money would flow into Greece and then flow back out of Greece to those countries and to those companies. And in 2007 and 2008, before the crisis began uh, in Greece in earnest, um, there were a lot of government scandals in Greece. Was sort of the previ- uh, This was before the last elections were held in 2009. And those scandals were over kickbacks the different government members uh, received in exchange for awarding these contracts to companies such as Siemens. We all know Siemens, big multinational company. And Siemens was found to have paid, you know, bribes to key politicians in Greece uh, in order to get these projects. So, in other words, during the boom years, Germany and, 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 and France and the UK and, and all the creditor nations were benefiting by this incredible amount of money that was flowing into Greece and then flowing back out of Greece. When things began to go under 
in late 2008 and in 2009, and this all began to dry up, and Greece started falling behind on its debt obligations. That's when things really began to hit the fan, so to speak. So this this particular construction uh, deal that you're talking about, in addition to the fact that there was a lot of money being loaned to to, to Greece. This, this this false this false promise of, of work coming into Greece and the money flowing right out in in addition to the fact that people were taking on a great amount of loans was the perfect storm in terms of creating the crisis, right? Is it, what you're saying? It was a perfect storm because it created this false prosperity and false promises. Right. All this money began flowing into Greece. People began to become accustomed to a higher standard of living and the the irony of it is that when Greece adopted the euro in 2002, uh, previously it used its own currency, the drachma. On paper, people started making bigger salaries. The minimum wage uh, before 2002 was the equivalent of about 500 euros. And ironically, that's where the Troika wants to lower the minimum wage now, from 780 euros, where it was until recently, uh, per month. Um, the irony is that, yes, on paper, people were making more money, but prices went up across the board in Greece, and they went up for two reasons. First of all, and this is not something that just happened in Greece, but it's happened in Italy and even in Austria and in a lot of countries that adopted the euro, um, people rounded up. So something that was 100 drachmas, like a bottle of water, which was the equivalent of like 33 cents, 0.33 euros, suddenly was raised to 1.00 euros because... People weren't used to the new currency, so they saw 1.00. They said, ah, 1.00, that's close to 100. Uh, so, you know, they would buy that bottle of water, not immediately realizing the exchange rate between the two currencies and the fact that they were paying three times what they used to be paying for the same product. And that's a simple example, but it's applicable across the economy. So people actually had less real income. They didn't notice that for that however, because there was this adjustment period, and also because people suddenly had access to easy credit. So if they couldn't afford something, well, they had a credit card to pay for it. I see. So it's like a double. So so cut to, just because we've uh, we got a couple of other topics sure. today, uh, cut to 2011, uh, or 2012. There are now these quote-unquote riots going on. Do you think that, I want to go back to something that you said before, which was the minimum wage and the wages of the youth are suffering. Do you think that it was specifically the youth uh, of Greece who were frustrated with this economic crisis, the pressure on them to, uh, you know, the, the cuts that are coming onto them that caused the riots? Um, well, I think the youth are among the groups of people in Greece that are among the most frustrated with what is going on. Because as I mentioned, youth unemployment is close to 50%. A lot of people feel that suddenly they don't have a future in their own country, which is a terrible thing to feel, that, you know, in order to be able to make a worthwhile living, you have to go somewhere else, uh, leave your family and your friends behind and go to another country. And that's what a lot of people in Greece are feeling right now. Uh, so they're among the people that are the, among the most frustrated. Their families are frustrated because they may have been paying to put them through college or was this whole promise that, you know, unlike us, you're going to grow up and get an education and get your college degree and you're going to have a bright future ahead of you. And suddenly, it's like someone took that dream and crumbled it up and threw it in the garbage for a lot of people. And it's really very, very sad to see. So in terms of the riots themselves, let's talk about that because that's been in the news. A lot of the people that took to the streets in Greece in this past weekend 
um, on Sunday. Sunday was the day of the big protest. A lot of the people that took to the streets were young people, but not exclusively young people. You had older people, seniors, retirees who have seen their pensions cut to, in many cases, some as low as like 300 euros a month, which is horrible. You have families with children because... Even if the families are still doing okay, if even if they're just getting getting by, they're worried about their kids' future uh, and what kind of you know future their children will grow up to in Greece. So it's a real cross section of the population that has taken to the streets. The estimates that the media was reporting about the uh, the, the demonstrations in Athens were a hundred thousand people, but people that were on scene in Athens, and I read a lot of different journalistic accounts and accounts from different bloggers, and I even knew people who were there were telling me the number was more like one to two million. All of central Athens in a one mile radius around the parliament building, which is like the exact center of the city, was full of people. And a lot of the photos that I've seen have seen have shown all of those streets full of people. So all of those people that were out in the street, did they get violent? Well, there was violence, and we all saw it on TV. We all saw it in the newspapers and so forth. But the violence didn't come from these, you know, everyday people, from the young people, from the retirees, from the family people that were out in the streets. The violence can be entirely attributed to very small groups within that large, uh, that large, you know, mass of people that was out in the streets. Now, who are these people that caused the violence and what were their motives? That's a good question and it's an open question. There's a lot of suspicion a lot of people blame so-called anarchists or leftists or communists. Um, there's, you know, different words that different people use um, to, you know, sort of, you know, cast blame at different groups. Other people have other suspicions. Uh, there's been a lot of photos circulating on the Internet, on Facebook. There's been a lot of videos circulating on YouTube that show a lot of these masked hooligans uh, the ones that were setting fire to shops and looting and breaking windows and throwing rocks and so forth, who, in many cases, they, they, there would be police like standing next to them or standing in front of them while they were committing these acts, and the police were doing nothing at all. So that begs the question, and it's not to say that I know the answer to, but it certainly raises the prospect that one of two things might be happening. One is that, for whatever reason, the police has decided to be inactive, at the very least at the beginning. They intervened. There was a lot of tear gas used by the police. They made arrests. But in the beginning, certainly, they didn't intervene at first, and a lot of, uh, a lot of chaos ensued. Some other people's suspicions, and again, I can't confirm this 100%, but certainly the photos and videos are very telling, are that perhaps there are elements in the police, in the government, that wanted this to happen. And why would they want this to happen? Why would they want such horrible images coming out of Greece? And why would they want people's businesses to be destroyed? Well, first of all, it changes the media narrative around. Instead of hearing about one or two million people taking to the streets, peacefully assembling against unpopular cuts, the narrative turns to riots break out in Athens, you know, violent Greeks smash shop windows because, you know, they don't like the economic medicine that is being fed to Greece. Uh, it changes the narrative. And also, because things turn violent and because the police did eventually intervene and started using tear gas and batons and so forth and making arrests, that disperses the protests. 
and one you know when tear gas is being used quite liberally you know it creates an atmosphere where people can breathe they need to just get out of there they can't stay there so the protests dispersed people moved out to the side streets didn't come back for hours and that you know sort of breaks up this message that is being sent by the ordinary people that are suffering and again i can confirm this i can you know nobody that I've heard, anyway, knows for sure what happened. But all I can say is from the people that I that I've spoken to, from the accounts that I've read, from the photos and videos that I've seen, there's a lot of questions about what happened with the riots, and it, it's unfortunate that it overshadowed the message of the Greek people against these cuts. Earlier, um, we were talking about this, Michael, and you mentioned something about uh, Greek historical figures um, being involved with the with the rallies and actually uh, getting attacked by police and that sort of becoming a a rallying cry to recruit more people towards the rallies. Yes, uh, and that's a very good point. Um, And it's sort of a symbolic... symbolic sort of sign of what has been happening. There there were these two figures. The first one was a famous Greek composer by the name of Mikis Theodorakis, and he's internationally known. He sort of became one of the voices of the Greek resistance to the military government that ruled the country between 1967 and 1974. He was exiled. He was arrested first. He was exiled from the country. He wrote a lot of music that was against the military government. So he's a nationally beloved figure. He sort of was a voice for the people at that time, and he went on, he had a huge career, uh, and he's still alive, he's in his 80s, and he took to the streets on Sunday, uh, and he actually was giving a speech near the area where the parliament is located, and he was actually tear-gassed, along with the people that were listening to the speech, So, and he actually ended up being taken to the hospital. Um, so that's one example of sort of like a national hero basically being taken down by sort of this police response. The second example, which in a way is even more egregious, has to do with someone by the name of Manolis Galezos. He's not really internationally known, but he's everyone knows him in Greece because he was seen as a figure that resisted the Nazi occupation of Greece in, ni- in the 1940s. When Germany invaded Greece during World War II in 1941, the Nazi flag was raised over the Acropolis in Athens sort of the defining figure of Greece, and there's a Nazi flag flying there. So what this man did, what Galezos did, he was a young man at the time, he climbed up to the Acropolis in secret and tore down a Nazi flag. And you can imagine what a dangerous act this was at the time. And he did it, he got away with it, and he became a legend in Greece as a result of that. And he's still alive. He's also in his 80s. And there, he was out at the protests. I don't think he spoke publicly, but he was there. Everyone in Greece recognizes him. And there is this photo that has been circulating on Facebook and elsewhere showing a police officer in riot gear uh, from this past Sunday actually punching him in the face. So... Think about what message that sends to the Greek people at that moment. Here's someone who actually risked his life to climb up and tear down a Nazi flag. Nationalist, if you've ever heard of him. Yes. Someone that, you know, could have been thrown in a concentration camp and, you know, forgotten about. And he did this act for his country. And here we are, 60-something years later. He's in his 80s? He's in his 80s. He's an old man. And he gets punched in the face by a riot police officer. What message does that send? It sends a message that the police and the government are, they don't care who you are. They don't care about, you, about the history 
of the country. They don't care about your history and your significance. All they care about is passing these measures no matter what, and no one, not even a national hero, is going to stand in their way. I don't know if that's the motive, but certainly that's the message that you know someone seeing a photo right. like that will interpret. That, I mean, that would be enraging. Uh, I guess the U.S. Context, context would be somebody like Rosa Parks getting assaulted at a, an Occupy rally if she right. was still with us. Exactly. That's a great analogy. And it's it's really the same thing. You know, this is a beloved figure, and this is how they get treated, because they dare to voice their opposition.